the Goldendale Sky Village on episode 372 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars. So this morning, today, we have uh, Bill and Christopher joining us from the Goldendale Sky Village. Actually, Christopher is uh, in San Diego and Bill, I think you're up in Seattle. I think you said, is that correct? That is correct. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show, guys. Really great to have you this morning. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Should be uh, should be fun. We're really interested here. This is the first time we've talked to people about a Sky Village, but it's not the first uh, people that we've um, you know had listening to the show that are involved in one of the Sky Villages. I think we have people from a couple of the other ones involved, but it's something that. I'm quite interested in. I I bought my own dark site uh, a couple of years ago now, and kind of know a little bit of the trials and and tribulations about about doing that. But it's just sort of my own property. But uh, I always thought it would be really cool to be involved in in one of these. So maybe what we'll do to get started, folks, is um, maybe we'll start with Christopher. If you can tell us about uh, your background and interest in amateur astronomy, and then uh, then we'll go to Bill. So yeah, if you can just. Give it, give us a bit of a rundown how you became interested in astronomy and what you like doing in the astronomical community. Uh, well, I was born and raised in England, as you can probably tell by my accent. And uh, I, when I was thirteen years old, I went to a boarding school, and in the house I stayed at, in the backyard, there was an observatory, uh, which was built in eighteen seventy eight. And it was a nine and a quarter inch refractor. And uh, that was quite something to have in the backyard. Wow. So uh, I um, started using it. It was open all the time whenever I wanted to use it. And uh, really got to enjoy um, seeing the stars. Uh, not very dark place, but uh, it was quite a, quite, a, quite a large telescope. And I remember once... Uh, when I was a teenager, uh, Sir Patrick Moore came by to visit, and I gave him a tour of the observatory. Wow. And showed, him, showed him my uh, uh, drawings of sunspots and things like that. So uh, about the same time, my father gave me a telescope, a small four-inch reflector, and started a subscription uh, to Astronomy Magazine, which was just starting right then. And uh, so that's what really got me into it. When I was in college, uh, I went to a college where there was a planetarium. Uh, this was in Alabama now. And uh, so I put on planetarium shows uh, for students. And um, uh, so I didn't really start getting into it uh, seriously, though, until about 10 years ago when I got a much bigger telescope and, and uh, started uh, imaging um so that's that's the background wow that's pretty cool so what do you know what kind of telescope that uh that nine and uh nine, nine plus inch aperture was uh was it just uh like a cook or something like that or do you remember what i i don't know what make it was i remember that the tube was made out of pap papier mache okay <laughs> uh and it had brass knobs coming off it uh all the, all different directions and you can see a photograph of it if you google uh, rugby school observatory uh, there's some pictures of it if you want to take a look at what something like that looks like rugby school 
Observatory. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Oh, wow. Rugby School Temple Observatory, and it was opened in 1878. So it's in Warwickshire. I've, I actually yeah. I, I spent a summer in uh, Coventry. I don't think that's too far. Well, that's just down the road. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Wow. That's quite the. Is it still around, you know? or? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah I'm sure it is. It's hmm. incredible. Yeah. I just got the uh, historical uh, image here. Mm-hmm. Very neat. Might be a Clark. Might be a Clark. I'd be interested to know because I never really thought about you know what who made it, but assuming that the Victorians have you know moved on, things have moved on since then. Yeah, it's yeah. It actually says it's a Clark. <laughs> That's so. Yeah, that would be a that'd be a pretty good little scope. <laughs> <laughs> to yeah. say the least. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Um, and so you said you're imaging now. Are you? Do you still um, look through the telescopes, or primarily uh, just the imaging, Christopher? I primarily do the imaging, but I haven't done a lot in the last couple of years. I've been focused uh, on building uh, the Sky Village. Uh, it's taken a lot of my time, but but uh, yeah, I I I, I still get. To image either from Goldendale or from home whenever I can. Yeah. Neat. And what are you imaging with? I have a Williams Optics uh, 91 telescope with a one of those harmonic mounts and uh, and a, a CCD camera QSI 683. So that's what I'm imaging with now. I used to have a tel- well, I still have a Teleview 127 IS with a AP Mark One mount, but the, it was getting pretty heavy to lug around, so I decided to get more portable. Yeah. And what sort of objects that that'd be a pretty good wide field setup? But I know a lot of people are able to uh, to diff- to do different things with these small telescopes now. Yeah, I, I've been imaging sort of uh, deep sky objects uh, like galaxies and nebula and things like that. But okay. Yeah. I'm I'm still not very good at it. I'm trying hard though. <laughs> it, it's uh, funny. I always I always hear that from many astro imagers. Yeah. Go ahead, Shane. <laughs> oh, I didn't really have anything to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I thought I was cutting you off there. All right. Maybe we'll uh, transition over to Bill and get a bit of your uh, your background in amateur astronomy and and where you're coming from, Bill. Uh, if you can just give us that bit of a rundown. Uh, sh- uh, sh- certainly. Uh, I grew up in a farm in central Iowa, in the central U.S., Okay, and um, it had fairly dark skies at that time, not so much anymore, unfortunately. But uh, when I was uh, in high school, I actually built my own telescope, good old Edmund Scientific, uh, how to build a telescope, a four and a quarter inch mirror. I actually bought the mirror rather than try to grind it myself, but it was mainly built out of um, uh, parts lying around the farm, pipes, for example, and uh Oh, stove pipe that would be used in a in a furnace. Um, and so I, I actually built it, put it together myself, and got quite interested in observing then. Uh, so interested that when I went to college, I got a degree in physics, uh, oh. physics and math. Uh, only taught school for a year. Teaching was not my, my cup of tea. So then I um, eventually moved to Seattle here. And I was reading t- Sky and Telescope a couple of years ago, and Christopher had written an article on the very last page of Sky and Telescope about Goldendale Sky Village. 
had gotten me interested. Uh, so I bought into the village. Um, so I wasn't one of the founding members, but uh, uh, bought into it. Uh, and now I've uh, actually built an observatory in Goldendale Sky Village. Uh, but I live in Seattle in the in the probably uh, light polluted, undoubtedly light polluted skies here. Cool. And so uh, how did that first telescope work out? Have you built other telescopes or what are you observing with now? Um, I'm observing with a couple of Celestrons. So I've got a Celestron 11-inch edge um, that I uh, will actually put in the observatory in Goldendale. It's really too heavy to be pulled out uh, here in Seattle. Uh, and then here in Seattle, I use a Celestron 8-inch. I have a couple other telescopes, but the Celestron 8-inch is uh, my uh, uh, go-to for putting out on my deck and observing in Seattle, like I say, in the light-polluted skies. I also recently acquired a little Sea Star, a 50 millimeter S50, which is relatively new from ZWO. Okay. Um, it's it's really more than a toy. I've actually uh, wrote a uh, review of it, which I'll publish here today or tomorrow. But um, it's more than a toy for imaging. But I'm strictly a vis visual observer at this time. Eventually, we'll probably get into into more imaging. All right. Good stuff. So maybe we'll uh, slowly move on to uh, the Sky Village. And it sounds uh, like, Christopher, it sounds like you were one of the prime movers uh, in this project. Is it is it something that you began to investigate on on your own? Or is it something that uh, that you were working with uh, with others on from the very start? I started basically on my own. What what happened was that um, Stephanie Anderson, who's the, who was the president of the Seattle Astronomical Society uh, back in 2016, uh, she's also uh, one of the co-owners of, of Cloudbreak Optics, which is a telescope store in Seattle. So she, uh, in 2016, asked me to take over the... Uh, uh, chairmanship, if you like, of the Dark Skies Com Committee of the uh, Seattle Astronomical Society, or the SAS. And that committee had about 10 people on it, and I said, great, I'd love to do that. And uh, so I spent the next two years looking for a suitable dark sky site um, for for the SAS, and, and I looked uh, in two basic different places. One was uh, an hour and a half from Seattle, and the other one was three and a half hours from Seattle, and uh, trying to see the advantages and disadvantages of being close or further out. And over that two years, I saw probably about 100 properties that were for sale. And um, um, and also over the two years, the effort kind of morphed from an SAS project to a private project. Um, and uh in 2018 i found these 30 acres of perfect land in uh, near goldendale uh as soon as i saw it i thought this this would work very nicely and i had all the requisites of you know portal two sky um and low horizons and no neighbors and uh, very suitable good access all the things you want in a in a dark sky sign and about how far from uh, Seattle is that? Because you, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you uh, you reside in or near Seattle yourself. Is that 
Yes, I'm just traveling right now, but I I live in Seattle, and uh, it's about uh, if uh, depending on whether you keep the speed limit, I, I I've <laughs> I've gotten there in three hours, uh, but it usually takes about three and a half hours to get there, which is just just uh, on the edge of doability. You know, if it's much further, it'd be hard for a weekend to go out there, but uh, the roads are all good, so it's pretty pretty clear shot. So, so do most astronomers, when they head out there, spend multiple nights at the site? Uh, it varies. Uh, yeah. I've I've been out there and come back the same day and not not spend oh, wow. at all. You know, uh, <laughs> depending on what had to be done. But uh, yeah. other people can spend a week or or, or even a couple of weeks. And you know, uh, if you have an RV, there's no limit uh, how long you can spend there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you mentioned 30 acres. How is that subdivided? Like, If somebody was buying a, a plot, um, how, how large of an area do you end up with? All right. Well, this is where I need to make a very important distinction. You don't buy plots or lots in, the, in, the, in this village. Okay. What you do, it's an LLC, and its purpose is to own, operate, and preserve a dark sky site from where our members, we have members, and their guests can visually observe an image of the universe. So what you do is you buy shares in the LLC. And uh, right now, uh, there's a minimum of two shares for membership. And in return for your uh, shareholder status, you get uh, the right to use land mm. uh, at the village. And there's a ratio. If you it, one share... Uh, for each share you buy, uh, you get the right to use 2,500 square feet of land, which is a 50 by 50, you know. So so uh, if you get two shares, that's about 71 by 71 feet. And that's big enough to park an RV and put a telescope pad on and, and uh, <clears throat> hang out without feeling too cramped. Uh, but that's you don't buy shares. That's you buy. I mean, you don't buy land. You buy shares, and uh, so that's what makes uh, uh, makes it really work very nicely. And is that I have to ask a question about this? This seems like a really good deal. <laughs> is is that like sort of uh, forever, like in perpetuity, or is it like twenty five hundred for two shares every ten years, or is it or is it a forever? No, it's, it's 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 uh, considered part of your state. These shares. And so it's forever. And when you when you uh, um, pass on, you can you can pass it on to your um, next of kin, your your heirs, and they can use it. You know, so it's it's uh, forever. You know, unless you sell them, you you can sell shares too. Neat. And is there any kind of like you mentioned? Uh, you could put down a pad. I notice on the website it mentions potentially building an observatory. Is there any kind of restrictions as to what can be, I guess, maybe permanently established? Uh, no, you can build anything you like on your on your land, uh, as long as you don't encroach on your neighbor's sky. So there's a, a rule about, you know, like Bill, for instance, you, you, Bill has built his own observatory over there. He's one of like three or four observatories there now. And, uh, and, uh, so you, people put concrete pads on their land. They build observatories. They put little, uh, we call them shelter cabins, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which can't be any larger than 120 square feet and uh, according to county regulations. And so um, 
you know, it, it, it's it's fun to see the village grow over time as it has. Yeah, I think this is a, a great concept, um, you know, especially to get a bunch of like-minded people together, you know, to preserve the night sky. Uh, I think it's a wonderful idea. Is there also then sort of lighting regulations or policies or anything like that to help preserve the, the sky at night? Uh, yeah, it's like any uh, star party you go to. It's, it's you, you don't go around, you know, shining white light anywhere. You have to be careful about that. Mm-hmm. And we have our... Uh, our uh, red light enforcer, one of our members, <laughs> goes around. <laughs> I'm getting a, I'm getting an image of a guy walking around the baseball bat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his day job is a clinical psychologist, so he's perfect. <laughs> he's very convincing, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's also kind of interesting here is uh, Goldendale, which is about ten miles away, is uh, home to a state park that has an observatory. So it's yeah. actually a state of Washington park. Uh, uh, and it's uh, an observatory, and Goldendale itself uh, tries to minimize the light pollution that comes from the town. It's not a very big town in any case, so there's not a lot of light pollution, but but that it's another uh, a kind of unique part about the, uh, the area. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds, uh, it really sounds like you found, a like, like you mentioned, Christopher, the ideal location here. Yeah, it took some doing. Uh, the problems of being too close in were the the prices of the land were much higher and the HOAs were stifling. Uh, And, you know, the the sky wasn't as dark. But uh, so it's worth going out. The land was very cheap back then. And, um, you know, uh, the sky was much darker and it was just worth it. You know, there are no regulations or very few people telling you what to do around there so we could build our roads and get on with it so i'm curious um you you mentioned being a an llc so that's like a like an incorporated entity of of some sort of i believe right for profit and uh so i'm just wondering versus like some of the other sky villages where where i i believe i really don't know so with the other sky villages that you looked at um do they do the same thing or do they sell lots or are they incorporated differently? I'm just wondering, this is a, this is a little bit different than what I, how I thought these sort of things might be set up. Right. Well, I've really looked at other sky villages and I haven't really found anything like it uh, anywhere. Um, Because if you look at the Arizona sky village um, in Portal, Arizona, um, and I've been there and I've talked to Jack Newton who, who started the place um, it's more like a housing estate with houses uh, on two-acre plots, and um, uh, and it, it, it's uh, ownership uh, of the of the plots, and that's true for a place in Georgia called the Deer Lake Observatory. I think yep. they they have the same thing sort of there, uh, and and if you go around all the various different sort of observing places or dark sky sites around the country, there's nothing really that's equivalent to this. And what's really important to me about having a star, a, star, a star a sky village like this with small lots close to each other is to help people like me who have terrible time trying to you know image uh, and need help uh, because uh, I can't get I mean if you're out by yourself somewhere in in the dark you can't you get stuck I mean that's the end of the observing night for you mm-hmm. but 
by having a lot of people together uh, in relatively close to each other, you can you can get help when you need it. When whenever you uh, um, uh, get stuck, and it's and it's so important for not only education but also for uh, socializing. Everybody knows each other in this in, in Golden Dale. It's like a little community, a big family, if you like. You know, so so it sounds uh, sounding like it's a little bit more communal in its. Uh organizational uh structure yeah that's yeah. that's pretty cool very it neat. also is also much less expensive <laughs> yeah because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i guess you don't have to buy the plots you're just buying those those shares i, I imagine a plot of land in portal arizona could be uh, rather expensive for a couple acres yes exactly and mm-hmm. there are people and members who who've told me that they could never have afforded to build an observatory like they built at Gondel if if they'd had to have their own land uh, they would have put all their money into the land and not not what they really want is the observatory so yeah yeah i can uh, i can appreciate that that's that's how i end up getting my dark sky site i you know we bought a cabin my wife and i together but the original uh, my original plan was just just like you're mentioning my original plan was to go out and try to find a small piece of land but it's a catch-22 you buy the land and now you can't afford to put anything on it right so then it yeah it's sort of like uh yeah it's, it's a bit of a catch-22 i guess and owning land is a headache too because you've got uh tax, taxes you've got regulations you've got this that and the other yeah. you know everyone's fighting over every square inch whereas at Goldendale, you don't own the land. So, you know, what's the matter if you don't know exactly where the perimeter of your lot is? You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it really sounds like a, a star party that is just never ending. It, it's <laughs> it's always on. Exactly. A permanent star party. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and what I really enjoy too about that concept is, um, you know, I think, I think astronomy can be viewed as a, a solo endeavor, you and your telescope under the stars. But it's for me anyway, it's far more enjoyable when there's three or four other people around me looking at the stars with their telescopes and that socialization that you referred to um, is really enjoyable. You know, it's it's fun to be able to talk to people. It makes, uh, makes me stay out later. Uh, and I like looking through other people's telescopes too, just to see what, you know, they're chasing down that night. So having uh having those like-minded folks around would be really enjoyable yeah that's what it works that way at uh, at our village yeah we have groups that hang out together in various areas yeah so speaking of which uh how many current share i guess yeah individual shareholders do you have we have 65. that's uh, pretty decent yeah well we went from 21 to 65 over five years and uh, we have 67 lots and we're running out of lots. <laughs> we only got a handful left. Wow. So when, when those are gone, is that kind of like Goldendale then is at capacity or is there potential for expansion? Uh, we've been exploring that very issue very closely. And, and what uh, my plan is, in fact, I've already done it, is uh, establish a new LLC uh, just down the road. Uh uh, called Starfield Sky Village, and um, we haven't got the land yet. But the owner of the land said he's willing to sell. We're just trying to get organized about you know getting it together. But that's it's kind of like a a, a dark sky home for 
uh, everybody who missed the opportunity to become members of of Coldendale Sky Village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you know, this this term of a sky village is sort of new to me. You know, I, I really until Chris and I started doing the podcast, uh, I guess close to three years ago now, um, that's when some of our listeners would write in and tell us about these sky villages was the first awareness uh, that came my way. And uh, I just think it's a fascinating concept. And if we had anything similar near Regina, Saskatchewan, I'd certainly be a part of it. Well, I can put a plug in for for another uh, uh, for the Chiricahua Sky Village because uh, that we we formed that a couple of years ago. It's ninety two acres uh, under Bortle One Skies, about a hundred miles southeast of Tucson, and I put it together uh, for the purpose of people who are shivering in Canada <laughs> with cloudy skies with no hope of seeing any stars anytime before the following summer mm-hmm. um, to uh, uh, for people who live under adverse conditions in winter to travel to Arizona and have a place to they can observe from it's it's exactly the same um set up as Goldendale Sky Village uh, the same rules the same uh, share concept and so forth. It, it has uh, 45 members. As soon as we put it together, like half the members of Goldendale Sky Village became members of the Chiricahua Sky Village because they like the idea of being able to escape uh, <laughs> the the Pacific Northwest in winter to observe. Uh, Bill is also a member of the Chiricahua Sky Village. He's been that. Why don't you tell him about your experience when you went down to Chiricahua, what you told me when you were down there? Well, certainly if you're looking to get away from freezing winters in Saskatchewan, uh, (laughs) it's also cold in the winter in uh, Arizona at night uh, in the desert. But uh, um, I actually drove down uh, last March, and we actually had a... Uh, dark sky festival if you will where a number of the members showed up at Chiricahua Sky Village and I was just amazed at the skies there were two things that were were remarkable about it first of all it's far south it's almost to the Mexican border of the U.S. Um, and the second is as Christopher was saying the border one skies there's virtually no sky sky glow in any place around um, I can't remember ever observing, um, visually observing the Crab Nebula, for example, M1, um, and it was spectacular um, uh, through my little 8-inch uh, eight, eight scope down there. So I, I was uh, definitely sold uh, until I crawled into my sleeping bag at night and <laughs> it was a little bit cold. Uh, so you've got to, got to be sure, this again is in March, you've mm-hmm. got to be sure to be prepared for that. Bill, what would the uh, overnight temperatures be there? It was freezing. It was oh, uh, wow. yeah. zero, zero uh, Celsius. Mm, yeah. Okay. But it, w- it wasn't <laughs> lower than that. I know, Chris, um, Be- uh, Beckett, on your, um, one of your previous podcasts, you talked about observing to minus 20, which <laughs> would be way too cold for me, I believe. Well, and observing at minus 20 is doable when, when you have a heated house next door, uh, you know, steps away. <laughs> if you're, if you're in a sleeping bag, minus 20 is pretty difficult. <laughs> but, but one of the things that, um, that Christopher has done, uh, with Tirakawa Sky Village is, uh, we've actually got a plot of land down there now that's got, um, power to it, mm. electricity. 
um, which is not true at, at Goldendale. At Goldendale, it's a uh, you have to bring your own power, which actually most members probably prefer um, is uh, u- using their own solar panels or using a communal so- solar panel for power. One one nice thing about a lack of power is then that translates into a lack of lights. <laughs> and anytime you you know you bring in some of these conveniences, you start to. Uh, just almost through attrition, lose some of that night sky. You know, uh, like our one of our favorite places near here is Grasslands National Park. And we were going there well before, at least for the East Block, well before uh, they did any serious development of the park. And it was an incredible place. And over the years, they built out more sites, they added power to the sites, and they made it more accessible. But with that comes a little more light at night and, uh, you know, it, it can be somewhat, somewhat frustrating at times. So I, I do have an appreciation for some rusticness in these locations. Well, I'd like to say that uh, we've been going five years now and uh, we really haven't missed grid electricity. Some members have. They would like to do some remote imaging. Mm. It's a little hard to do it without the grid connection. Uh, but we haven't really, I mean, most people have, solar panels and then the other thing surprisingly if we haven't missed is water i mean we bring our own water we don't need a well really i mean some people would like to have a well having said that but uh we've done pretty well without water and um and so we kind of like a a real sky village and we we get our uh internet from the sky we get our photons from the sky we get our electricity (laughs) from the sky we get our water from the sky you know it's a, it's a good feeling, you know. <laughs> that's that's a great uh, great way to put it. Yeah. I also I also love on your uh, website here for Goldendale, uh, the uh, hangout with fellow photon heads in the red light lounge. I, I love that. <laughs> photon oh, heads. You wouldn't great. notice that. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't allowed to put uh, Red Light Lounge into the article in the magazine because uh, people might get the wrong idea. Uh, what meant. I guess. Yeah. They, they crossed that part out. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. But we do have a Red Light Lounge, yes. It's uh, where people meet together and socialize, either when it's cloudy or before it gets dark. Uh, we have had potlucks every month there. Mm. And, uh, you know, we really get to know each other. We network, we teach each other, we learn from each other. It's, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned there's over 60, uh, members on a given weekend. What's the, I don't know what the right word is kind of occupancy percentage. Like do the vast majority of people show up if it's a, a clear weekend in the forecast? I don't know, Bill, what do you think? I, I don't think it's gotten over 50%. Uh, the most people we've ever had there then for a potluck was about 50 or 60 people, you know. Uh, but the funny thing is, is that it doesn't feel crowded at all in 30 acres. They all disappear and, yeah. you know, and you can't see them behind the bushes and stuff with their telescopes. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't feel crowded, no. Yeah, and that yeah. 50 and 60 includes, includes spouse and kids and sometimes others as well um, uh, for, for a potluck. But like my particular spot, um, there's scrub oak and small ponderosa pine, uh, which pretty much shield it from other lots. But on the other hand, uh, one of the things I like about it that Christopher mentioned earlier is um, other members will just kind of walk through and we'll chat or I can I can walk nearby and and, and chat with people um, like you were saying, Shane, 
look through other people's scopes at night. So it's relatively easy to get around. Uh, it's so dark that that one of the members has put uh, small stones that glow in the dark on the roads. So you can actually walk on the roads at night, um, mm. uh, which, which is enormously helpful. Yeah. Yeah, very uh, interesting. A couple of other things that Bill was talking about made me think of uh, uh, members don't just include I mean, it's it's the observers and their families. Their immediate families are all considered members and their children, obviously, and grandchildren. And uh, members can bring guests, too. As long as they're there to be their host, they can bring whoever they want to observe with them from the outside, you know. That's that's what I was going to ask, especially since I'm frantically looking at the Shurikawa Sky Village here. Yeah. Um, which I was familiar with before. I I think I was familiar with that one before, but not Goldendale. And I was I was curious to find out if if those of us who do suffer under the the sometimes minus forty degree temperatures uh, can actually come down and visit. Because I have been chatting to one of the uh, one of the members um, or one of the LLC uh, share owners at the uh, Chiricahua Sky Village, and I was like, oh, that would be really cool just just to come down even and and visit perhaps well, become a future member myself i don't know well you know if i'm there i go down about once a year or so but but if i'm there or bill's there uh, you're welcome to come and observe down there with me you know uh that's that's one of the nice things so it's just a matter of connecting with uh one of the members i suppose yeah you you bill can't tell you for example just go on down to jericho and use my lot down there you can stay there a month yeah. or two Whole yeah, thing. I can understand that. You need to have some sort of uh, controls yeah. on who's yeah. coming and going. Yeah, right. Because everybody, it's important that everybody knows everybody else. Uh, yeah, it, and that's that's the way it works. Yeah, that it. This is a fantastic deal. I remember it. It reminds me years ago of when uh, there was an astronomy organization and they did something similar. But um, yeah, at that those kind of pricing levels, it's it is a just a phenomenal deal. Knowing how much even land uh, goes for around here at the cheapest prices. That's that's what you're into is basically the absolute cheapest prices for land while at the same time getting the uh, best astronomy skies. I'm curious to find out when, when you're picking these sites, Christopher, uh, how much does weather play into effect? Is, is it the fact that there are in both these locations, I know there's other astronomical facilities, uh, observatories in and such within a within a handful of miles uh, from these locations. How does weather and nearby astronomical facilities play into uh, the selection of these locations? Well, it had a big part to play in selection of a Chiricahua site because we're only a mile, mile from the Chiricahua Astronomy Complex that's owned and operated by the Tucson uh, Club. Mm -hmm. And that place is just truly amazing. Uh, we've been on tours of that. And they've they've uh, raised. It's, they're different though because they're a nonprofit, so they have to depend on do donations to a large degree, whereas we don't. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but they've raised a, uh, a lot of money uh, and have built the most state of the art uh, um, dark sky site you can imagine. Uh, and so uh, we knew we couldn't go far wrong if we set up shop just a mile down the road from them, which in the Arizona desert is practically next doors. I mean, it yeah. is next doors, you know. So uh, that that played a, played a part. The other thing that I wanted to, I we chose the west of the Chiricahua Mountains 
is because it's closer to the Tucson International Airport. Oh, okay. So it's an hour shorter drive from the airport to the dark sky side. And I figured that might make a difference for people flying in from the rest of the country. We have members from six different states down in Arizona now. So some of them travel a long way to get there. Any Canadians so far that you know of? or uh, A couple of nibbles, but uh, no one's yeah. bitten. Uh, no one's taken the hook yet. But uh, yeah, we have had uh, we had someone very interested in Calgary who wanted to come, but didn't work out. Maybe after this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I I can see Shade is like writing the check right now. Right? Pretty much. I mean, the yeah. the is meant for people like you, you know. I mean, that's yeah. why it was put there so people can come there from the uh, can uh, break their uh, cloudy their depression, you know, their midwinter cloud uh, depression, and come come uh, come and visit the sunny skies of Arizona. Yeah, I was I was looking at flights. They because I was I was thinking about going to the uh, what is it called the Winter Star Party down in Florida. But to get to Florida from Saskatchewan is uh, basically almost a thousand U.S. dollars or a thousand Canadian dollars. But to get down to Arizona can be uh, uh, as as low as a hundred and seventy five dollars. So it's pretty significant difference i was like oh like you know a couple trips and you know you could buy your shares there shane <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. right yeah. wow that's really cool hey quick question just on the facility like i'm thinking about you know when we go down like shane mentioned we go down to the grasslands kind of sounds like something kind of sort of similar except more on a permanent basis we're we're pretty accustomed to uh kind of being self-sustaining so do you have like washroom facilities or anything of of that nature on on site like porta potties or uh outhouses or latrines or, or what are there for facilities at uh, both goldendale and the uh, chiricahua bill you can address that if, if you, you want to one of the things about goldendale that's nice is there's actually a, a team of folks who work together on various parts so there's um uh san- essentially a sanitation engineer who's led the village into building a double vault toilet um okay. uh, it's not there, there doesn't have to be a, um, uh, a drain field for it it's pumped out by a local contractor uh, uh, once a year and there's also porta potties uh, in the summer that are placed elsewhere in the village okay. uh, another member uh, has taken on the responsibility of working with local contractor uh, to build the roads uh, so there, there are roads throughout goldendale uh, and that local contractor is also available. Um, uh, I, I engaged him to uh, build a concrete pad for my um, uh, area, as well as to 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 level it, uh, to put in a, a gravel pad. And many other members have done that as well. So there's a uh, there's a whole team of folks who work to to uh, uh, on the village and on some of the amenities. Huh. Uh, to expand on that point for a second, uh, uh, everybody has a skill. Every member has a part to play in the success of the village, and they have a stake in it. So it's in their interest to to ensure its its success. And so we all come from different walks of life, and uh, we have people who are contractors, engineers, uh, Boeing people, uh, tech, tech people uh, to help set up, uh, you know, the Wi-Fi network and things like that. And we have a retired firefighter who acts as our fire marshal, which is a, a that's handy, really important thing. Yeah, I mean, we all sort of pitch in and help uh, using our different backgrounds to uh, 
to make it a success. Hmm. That's That's wonderful. Yeah. Just a a true community. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have, uh, had that decisions are made um, by a vote. Um, So one of the things that I did is I did a survey of members uh, about things like water and electricity. um, And those surveys help inform where we want to go uh, next. But um, we've had some issues with uh, pine beetles and some of the ponderosa pines. And uh, uh, but we took a vote to spend uh, the funds of the village uh, on actually removal of the trees or to spend the funds of the village on road construction and uh, the double vault toilet construction. Hmm. Very neat. Is there, is there any um, uh, potential for ongoing fees or one-time fees to build infrastructure or cover maintenance costs or things of that nature? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've managed uh, for the last five years not to have any dues, but we're mm-hmm. now, since we're running out of land, uh, we're not able to sell, you know, limitless shares. So that's the way we've been raising funds up until now. But we will be uh, pretty soon be starting a pretty, you know, affordable annual dues uh, just for maintenance. Mm-hmm. We don't have any big capital construction projects to do, but just paying for maintenance of the gravel roads and, and uh Porta uh, sanitation and things, uh, taxes and which are very low, but uh, liability insurance and things like that. Mm. Yeah. So if somebody wants, they they can buy their shares while quantities last, and they could put something like a small roll off and a and a camper trailer or something like that on on their lot if they so uh, desired. Would that be acceptable? Is that kind of the status quo? Or, or oh yeah, is, yeah okay. Yeah, everybody's building something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people are. Bill put a, an observatory on his, a domed observatory. Right next door, there's another one. Uh, there's a roll-off roof. Uh, shelter cabins are very popular because that way you can stay warm in adverse conditions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and actually, my observatory is, uh, was manufactured in Canada. Um, okay. This guy said pod um, yeah. out of, I think, believe Ontario, correct? Yeah, he's... Uh, yeah, just outside of London, Ontario. There. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And um, there's a there's roll off observatories. There's actually observatories that are pretty comparable to um, a one that you'd find in a small college. Uh, huh? Again, for uh, the particular person I'm thinking of, there is interested in remote imaging, uh, so we'll have a solar array and actually uh, control the uh, plane wave telescope remotely. Cool. And then would some people just come out and simply be like, hey, I don't need anything fancy. I'm just going to camp and, you know, throw up a tent and bring their big dog or whatever. And that's how they spend all their week, all their new moon weekends in the summer kind of thing. Another yeah. another feature of the of Goldendale is it's got a large grassy area. I mean, again, it's, it's scrub pine, uh, scrub oak and uh, ponderosa pine, a large uh, grassy area called a portal suitable for star, uh, star parties. Or for doing just what you said, Chris, um, uh, bringing out scopes. You see them every uh, every dark uh, new moon weekend. Mm-hmm. So when I was when I was watching, uh, I watched the video that was on on the website, and I noticed that uh, one thing that kind of struck me about about the uh, Goldendale Sky Village 
is that it it seemed at least to me from from the video that outreach plays some some sort of central role to it uh, can either of you speak about the the outreach that uh, is going on there and and what's planned for a public outreach at at this location yeah i can address that basically uh uh what we've done is uh create a a, a non-profit called um star trek academy okay <laughs> and um a non-profit a couple of years ago uh, got in, uh, became affiliated with the Seattle Mountaineers, oh, okay. which is a group, a large group, you may have heard of them, uh, of uh, outdoors type people uh, who, um, 15,000 of them in the, in the Seattle area. And, uh, and we started uh, giving classes on basic telescope and, and uh, red light discipline in Seattle at their headquarters and then we'd bring those classes once they've sort of qualified that we bring them out to uh, goldendale sky village and they would stay on the portal and uh, a whole bunch of uh, several members would uh, hang out with them and show them stuff through the telescope so that's one thing we've done we're not doing it right now because we're we're looking for a, a ceo to organize it uh, because it takes a lot of organizing but that's one thing and the the other thing we've done is um, we've uh, um, one of our members is a high school teacher, uh, and he brings his science class out every year. They get in the school bus and they come out and and they uh, set up they, they on the portal and they hang out. Those are very gratifying uh, nights when they get there because it's they learn so much. They're so enthusiastic. Um, so uh, that's what we've been doing. Um, it's it's not like the Tucson Club, though. It's not a the the L, It's an LLC, Goldendale. Its its primary mission is to uh, provide dark sky to its members. But we're doing uh, as much outreach as we can on the side, uh, people, because it's uh, people like doing it. It's it's a lot of fun. I'd also mention that uh, we've talked a lot about Seattle and uh, people from Seattle being there, but we've also got a number of members, um, uh, Christopher probably can tell, from Portland, from the Rose City Astronomers in Portland, Oregon. It's at least um, as easy to get to Goldendale from Portland as it is uh, to get to Goldendale from Seattle. Yeah, it's actually only two and a half hours from Portland, so it's closer. It's an hour closer, but a third of our members are from Oregon. Yeah, I'm just looking at the at the map here. Um, it's it's not. I spent a summer at Mount Hood, and I was like, "Oh, that's when I when I was trying to figure out if I've been through Goldendale." <laughs> we so. have a nice view of Mount Hood from our village. I bet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, from there's a hill at the north end of our village. You could go up that. There's a spectacular view of Mount Hood. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of distracted as we're doing this because I keep googling all these different. Uh, <laughs> locations and places as as we're chatting here but yeah it looks like a beautiful uh spot and that's in that's very interior um to the west coast there so i imagine you get some fairly dry uh persistent conditions uh what are the conditions typically like in that uh in that area in the summer and in the winter uh well in the summer it can get pretty hot like anywhere uh but the the season the observing season is summer the st the skies are clear for most of the uh of those months uh in the winter it gets pretty darn cold i was there last weekend it went down to 16 which is fahrenheit which is close to which is cold for me 
But um, uh, last year we had three feet of snow dumped on the village in, in a day or two, which paralyzed the whole uh, county. So, yeah. you know, uh, but usually you can get access. It's just the clouds that are a problem in the winter. Yeah. Yeah, because you're at about just above 45 degrees north latitude there, which which is essentially the same latitude where I'm from. And it sounds like your your winters might be fairly but, similar. <laughs> but the natural beauty of the area is stunning. We've got all these volcanoes. You can go down the road and you can see like four or five volcanoes around you, big white white volcanoes. And uh, and the prairie there is just lovely. The wildlife is is spectacular. There's, it's just totally unspoiled. It's a gorgeous place. Uh, one of the uh, one of our members actually caught a cougar uh, walking through the village on a webcam recently. Wow! Yeah, the photos are beautiful on the website here. I'm just scrolling through them right now, and uh, very picturesque. And as you described, Christopher, lots of just natural beauty. Well, some people just go there, even if it is cloudy, to get away from the metropolis. You know, yeah, sure. they have to go and unwind. You know, they don't even. Last time I went, I didn't even take my telescope. I just went. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get what, get into the country for some fresh air. Do you have a cabin set up there, Christopher, or or what's your setup uh, like yeah, I have currently? A, I have a one hundred and twenty square foot cedar cabin, and it's got um, a deck and a porch for the entrance. I've got a shed in the back, and I've got an outdoor hot water shower, which is gorgeous, wonderful. Because <laughs> it, was... it gets pretty badly needed when you're down there for Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so I have, uh, inside I have a wood stove and air conditioning, and on the roof I have uh, uh, solar panels. So. Nice. And do you do water collection there for the shower, or how do you... I bring it in in a in a jerry can, but yeah. we do have water collection at another place. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's uh, that's really neat. See by Shane's uh, message to me there, we're getting to to about the fifty uh, minute mark. There's there's no rush for us to wrap up, but uh, yeah, I'm just curious. So, Bill, uh, you're you're a member. Um, what are your impressions of of both uh, Chiricahua as well as the uh, Goldendale? Uh, facilities have have they uh, met your expectations? It sounds like oh, f- far exceeded, far exceeded my expectations. Uh, again, uh, I live in uh, uh, Seattle, which has at at best probably I live in actually in the city of Seattle, a uh, border seven skies. Um, and as I look to the east, which is downtown Seattle, um, it's probably border eight. Uh, and so you don't do it. You can do uh, visual observing. You actually do a lot of visual observing, um, obviously, but uh, you, you're not going to to, to do much uh, good imaging. Uh, so go, going to Goldendale is, is a blessing. The skies are just spectacular, um, as well as it's a little further south to catch uh, like Scorpius and Sagittarius, and Sagittarius in the winter. Um, Chiricahua, I've only been to once. Um, there's no, um, there aren't, aren't trees there. There's a lot of uh, vegetation, but there aren't, aren't, aren't really trees, so it's a lot, a lot more open. Yeah. Um, and of course, we're just breaking up there for a second not sure what's uh, happening there we'll just give it a moment uh my internet is unstable yeah that can <laughs> that can happen so you're saying there's 
it sounds like it's uh, working its way out there. Sorry about that, Bill. Uh, continue. You were saying there's a different type of vegetation there at uh, Chiricahua. Yes, but this, you're much further south in Arizona. So you get, uh, and, and without the vegetation, you've got a virtually clear view of the sky. Nice. Very nice. So, Christopher, it sounds like uh, you've, You've gotten uh, two, possibly three of these uh, ventures off the ground. Uh, is that kind of your your plans for the future is to keep developing uh, more sites like this uh, uh, for an affordable way for amateur astronomers like us to uh, to get access to permanent dark skies? I think this is a really great uh, service and an idea that you've uh, come up with. I had no idea it was so affordable. Actually, this is kind of almost shocking in a way. I didn't, uh, I didn't read any of that in my research, or, or didn't absorb for some reason. Well, uh, I would like to see other sky villages based on this model, you know, pop up around the country. Uh, there was a group uh, in in the Bay Area, California, who were interested in doing something like this uh, because they heard about it going on, but the <clears throat> land prices were. Uh, really high there so they've been having problems finding a good site for them um and someone mentioned maybe something in colorado i personally won't be uh you know be in be in california or colorado setting one up because i've got i i you know i've got a day job i have to you know show up every day (laughs) and um but I, i i i'm more interested in developing the uh, Goldendale Sky Village area. Like, for example, right now, our latest thing is potentially finding a permanent dark sky home for the Seattle Astronomical Society, which is basically how it started back in 2016, uh, how this whole thing started. And also for the Rose City Astronomers, because neither club, they're big clubs, and neither have a permanent dark sky home. And so I'm, I'm kind of working on that to find something like that. Uh, close to Goldendale Sky Village, bringing people together, you know. Uh, so that's what I'm working on. Cool. Well, very nice. So, uh, uh, Christopher, if if anybody's interested in either of these locations, um, what would be the best way for them to uh, find out more? Just go to the website or, yeah. Yeah, anyways. go to the website and send a message. There's a thing at the bottom where you can message uh, Goldendale. I usually respond pretty rapidly. Uh, Got someone last night uh, who sent a message to me about Goldendale and I responded about one o'clock in the morning. So uh, so I I respond pretty quickly and just do it that way. And the same for Chiricahua. Very cool. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. And Bill, uh, thanks so much for uh, lining this up. Uh, it was your uh, prompting that uh, kind of led us to have this conversation. I thought it was a really neat idea. We've never talked about any of the Sky Villages, and uh, and now we've uh, exposed ourselves and, and our listeners to uh, to really some of the great details on on what's happening and how people might uh, might be able to get involved for themselves. So thank you so much for that. Thank you, Chris and Shane, for doing the podcast. Not just th- this one, but your. I think Bill is unfortunately breaking yeah, up again. On three hundred and sixty-five now, I think, right? Uh, podcast. Yeah, we're just. I think this is going to be three hundred and seventy. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris and Shane. Yep. All right. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Bill. Unfortunately, we're we're just having a little bit of a technical issue with Bill here at the end. Um, Shane, do you have anything left to uh, add before we conclude? 
Yeah, just I uh, would like to say thanks. This was wonderful. Um, uh, this is a concept that I had awareness of, but certainly did not know the details. And I think that this is just a wonderful thing for astronomers. And uh, to your point, Christopher, I really hope a, a number of other ones uh, become established and not just in the US, but all over the place, because I think there's a lot of benefit for uh, people like us that just like to be under dark skies. I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, perhaps we'll uh, we'll conclude here. So, thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, this morning. We really appreciate it, and thanks to everybody for listening. If you have any show ideas, questions, or want to send in your observing reports, you can reach us at actualastronomy at gmail Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast check out our website, actualastronomy.com.